Welcome to The Original Doll. I'm your host, James Rodriguez. On The Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who create it. And at the same time, we give back to charity. For more information, join me on Instagram, the.original.doll. While you're there, check out our official website and join my Patreon community. Because of you Patreon rock stars, you're able to help us keep this thing going. So thank you so much. And as with everything connected with the original doll iconography, any audio recording ripping stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it. Today we're going to be talking to producer Fernando Garibay about his song with Britney Spears and how it went from Lady Gaga creating it to Britney Spears releasing it. More of that in a bit. We're going to get right to the show. My name is James Rodriguez. This is the Original Doll Iconography. Everyone, I'd like to welcome you back to the original Dial with James Rodriguez, where I unpackage music with the people who created it. And at the same time, we give back to charity. So for every question our guests answer, we get items donated to charity. We help out women in domestic abuse shelters, homeless LGBT plus teens, and so many others. So I want to give a big, big shout out. And I'm excited to talk to today's guest, Fernando Garibay, who many of you have sent in. I have sheets and sheets of questions and how much you love him. So Thank you, Fernando Garibay, for being here today on the original doll. Uh, uh, so I have deer in headlights right now because I'm looking at your background and it's like <laughs> I worked on that album. I worked on that album. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. But but more importantly, though, I mean, so we had a little couple a minute chat before this conversation. And I'm just, again, deer in headlights because of what you're doing and your 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 program's doing to help the LGBTQ plus community, disenfranchised, uh, marginalized communities as well beyond that and then providing uh, all i mean just essential support it's incredible yep. so yeah i'll go long-winded answers on your questions so feel free to pick them and i'm happy to share any of my stories i feel like um you're a rare breed and then we don't get to see this level of appreciation for um the creators the uh the content makers um the people that sacrificed you know their crew their 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 lives to make this art with mm. amazing artists well, and that's one of those things that I've loved on the original doll, really talking about that, because I think people don't realize it takes a village. There are a lot of people oh, yeah. behind the scenes. So let's let's rewind back for you. Yeah. One of our first questions is from Tika from Indonesia. She said, with a genius like Fernando Garibay, how in the hell did music come to him? It just seems like he was probably born producing music. Oh, Can wow. you talk about that? Yeah, that's a, that's a question I've been trying to answer my whole life. Um, because essentially, I think there's obviously some sort of genetic predisposition to, um, um, let's call it, yeah, predisposition, not talent. So predisposition means that you might have a propensity towards learning something a lot easier than the person next to you. It doesn't mean you will excel in it, you see. There's done numerous case studies, there's numerous case studies from actually Harvard, in which Harvard Medical School, in which they uh, analyzed um, uh, talent versus skill, innate predisposition versus skill, I should say. Mm-hmm. And the, this, the people that worked harder at their skill set um, versus people that were, let's say, born with a predisposition towards like mathematics or something, 
the people that worked harder at it uh, outperformed the people with the innate pre- predisposition towards that skill set or knowledge set. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. So that's my scientific answer. The scientific Love answer it. is what we know now is that it, it's, it's a combination of both, but more importantly, it doesn't matter because it's how driven you are about your passion that will define your success in anything you do. And that's been proven. I've seen this over and over. You see, there's this Paul McCartney versus John Lennon uh, summed up oh. in that story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? So one had arguably a more predisposed um, uh, skill set one will work day and night to catch up, right? There are numerous versions of this. But to answer, so I think that's, a, that's an honest and scientific and equally hopeful answer that if you choose your passion, you choose your passion or your passion chooses you is determined by many variables. But what's safe to say is that you, you can win on any of them so long as you want it bad enough. There you go. See, I love that because that's, I think that's what's important because I think I always talk about the fact that in music and the arts, you can teach somebody how to kind of hone some of their skill sets, but like I can't teach somebody how to have rhythm or understand rhythm unless they kind of feel it, you know, innately within them. Like you can, there's a lot of things that you can do to help sharpen the, that skill set. But I do feel like sometimes like mathematics, half of my siblings do very well. I do not. I'm on this end of it. I'm on the, the creative end of it. And I think that it's something where your whatever you're exposed to really truly does play a part in what you grasp a hold of and the passion behind it. And I think you brought up a great point that we've seen numerous times on here that the passion, because creatives want to create, you want to keep going. There's always something that needs to be communicated through you. And I feel like what I've loved is in, in knowing your career and looking at the albums all around my my office that you've been a part of and just go, damn, damn, here and here, Paradiso Girls, Gaga, like pointing at all these things. And to me, it's what I've loved. And and even when we talked about some of your previous collaborators, they said you had the spirit of creativity, that you wanted it to be a collaborative effort, that you said, let's just go with this, that it was more organic than sometimes other places. Like, nope, Give me a middle eight, give me a bridge, call me in five minutes and then be done. Bye. You know what I mean? And what I've loved is in, in watching you and seeing you, the creativity seems organic. And what I've oh. loved is that you've created this stuff that's so organic, yet so not organic, if that makes sense. Yeah. So so when I when I, and I give you the origin of that, if you're interested, if your fans mm-hmm. are interested, um, just just guide me along the way. Uh, I I uh, it's driven by feeling a void that I've always had. And I realized that for me, you know, my first version of being successful was I was able to create music without anybody, right? Full stop, Mm -hmm. right? So if I'm alone and when I was a kid and I would borrow instruments to record what I could from neighbors and friends from anywhere, you name it. And I was able to make that happen because I didn't, I lost my sense of, um, humanity in relying on other, mm. on other people to come through and and be there for me so I had to be my own island so to speak and that's what happens when you grow up in 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 um, a you know in not so uh, with challenges right mm-hmm. community challenges etc so for me that wasn't you know I, I accomplished that and it was very lonely and so when I discovered 
that there are people better than I am at certain things, such as like there's a better guitarist. It's very simple. Better guitarist, better singer, a better songwriter. I realized uh, first I got really sad because I wasn't the best. But then I thought, <laughs> wait a minute. If I look at the history of all greatest songs of all time, they're all collaborative. 99% of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And very rarely do you see one songwriter. So I'm like, huh, if I want to truly write great music and change the world through the music I create, I must learn to be really good, a really good collaborator. Beyond that, I must learn how to get the best out of people. Beyond that, I must be able to sustain that. Mm-hmm. And so this led to a deep dive on purpose and what I do, why I do what I do very early on at a very young age. Um, I'm talking about preteens. Mm-hmm. And I came to this realization that for what Morrissey, the Smiths, Depeche Mode, um, even my mentor, uh, who I consider my mentor, Georgia Moroder, taught me through their music they created was that music can change lives and save lives. And so that was very clear purpose because I needed saving, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I felt connected to the world, to the music I listened to, to the music I created. So my purpose was very clear at that point. Now, how to get to doing that was not so clear, mm-hmm. right? So everything came down to this one point on this tangent is that once I discovered that it ans- music answered so much for me, so many questions that I could not put into words, such as like, you know, these um nuances of emotions and that to just that's what art gives you doesn't it it gives mm-hmm. you a me- mechanism from which to describe what's indescribable so i became really good at that mm-hmm. and so the reason why the music sounds so organic is because it came from a pure place as much as i was trying to save the world it was saving me at the same time see and that's the the saving part the creativity that outlet that that connection in dozens upon dozens of these love letters that I basically got for fans of your music you've come to help them without even realizing it sort of thing like when we we, we're going to talk about Gaga and things like that and what's been amazing is what I've loved on the original doll is being able to hear those because oftentimes a lot of the guests on here don't really get to hear the wide spectrum of how much their music helped people or I would say that that song found the home whether it was in creating, being produced, or the listener receiving it. Yeah. So I wanted to go go a little bit into this is we had Marco from Australia. He said, uh, as somebody who's on the spectrum, I myself have always turned to music because it has helped me. I've always been in love with Fernando Garibay's remixes. I have a really weird question, but I wanted to know, he did like 10 different Enrique songs with a bunch of remixes. How did that work? And who did he look up to as other producers when you know an original song or not? Thank you so much for allowing me to think outside of the box because I feel like you get me even though we've never met. Okay, so remixing for me was an experiment and that's a great question. I'm very honored to be asked such a question. Um, to correct one point, James, I was very clear, clear on my mission and goal. It was to save lives. Mm-hmm. You see, like all this led to now, luckily I know because people write me uh, on social media, but I cannot take credit for it. It's just very well knowing that I collaboratively have saved lives. Mm-hmm. Right? There's amazing artists that I've had the, the, the reach with and to connect with and to express myself with allowed me to deliver that message, right? Now, a lot of the fans are, might not know, but there's hidden messages on all the music I've created. No, I never shared that. I might've hinted at it, 
but that's my gift to you that you'll find healing messages in all the music I've created. I couldn't help it. So you hear my voice in some of them, you'll hear like, like, you know, very Pink Floyd uh, leads up and reverse things that are happening. So you'll find it if you look for it. So a lot of Easter eggs for that reason, and especially with Gaga, I did a lot, a lot. And we would joke around. I was like, I wonder if anybody will ever hear this. Like it didn't matter because it's more the meaning of it. But, uh, and sometimes we wouldn't tell Gaga as well, but, uh, but then we let her, she, she, she'd, uh, she'd laugh along with us and, and, and play along um, because it, it was all in subscribing to the message of the song, right? It was all in, mm-hmm. to honor it, not to, to dishonor it. But to remixing, um, back to this question, remixing was a way for me to learn how to make prolific records. And so what happened around 1996, 97, 98, I was very young. I was like, I, I was living in in south central la southeast la and i was commuting on you know taking a bus or bar in a car or or whatever i had to do to get to a studio that had you know where i you know a computer (laughs) and and very primitive software to to align with two inch reels i would get from david foster quincy jones and and, um (laughs) and so what david foster was interesting because he they would hire me because i was this like I guess cool kid who um, I don't know how that happened. I think it was through referral, right? Mm-hmm. What the way I started, I started send, sending tracks I would make at my house with borrowed equipment. I would literally lock like four to five cassette tapes together and record parts. That was my four track. That was my multi track. So and then I would make a demo and it sounded like decent, I guess. And I would send that out. A couple of things happened in parallel it got to the hands of certain certain prolific producers like David Foster. And David Foster um, reached out and said, hey, um, would you be interested in remixing Boys to Men? I think it was. Goodness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm totally aging myself, but um, I was very, I was like- I'm older, it's fine. It's yeah, fine. yeah. So, but, <laughs> but, um, so I, I, they would give me these two inch tapes and I had no idea what to do. Like, I mean, and they would give me the charts, right? So I was like, I had to learn, like a little bit more prolific music theory than I was prepared to. And so I had, I learned music theory in real time uh, by um, auditing <laughs> classes at USC. Cause I, I, I was, I got into um, the, it's called like the ACE PACE program, which is like a program for gifted kids where you can attend university. And so I hacked my way into university at around 13 years of age. And so all this happened at once. <laughs> So I was working with David Foster and I would go to his studio in, I think it was Malibu. Um, and I would, I remember entering his gates and there was a trolley train that would take you all the way up to the studio. And there was like a, a paintball park he built for his kids in, in, the, in, the, in the front yard. Uh, and I was this kid from like Southeast LA walking in trying to like not just be awestruck by the mm-hmm. amount of success and wealth and, that he exuded from that place. But he was very kind. And he, you know, I remember somewhere online, there's a picture of us uh, hanging out at one of the BMI events. And he goes, here you go. And he gives me two two-inch tapes. And it was boys to men. And then he gave me the charts. And he's like, and he didn't say another word. I'm like, what the, am I supposed to do with this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so I never touched two-inch tape. Back then, I used to record everything on two-inch tape. And so luckily, I had another friend who was a producer who's Dutch. And he was another, he was, he was 
who's a great mentor uh, to me as well. And we shared studios. And this is going to lead to how I met everybody. I had a studio in Hollywood that um, eventually ended up with. And um, this mentor, he did Technotronic, Pump Up the Jam. Mm -hmm. And that was his big hit. That was like his one hit. He had a few others, but that was it. And so through that hit record, he, he became really good at engineering. He became one of the best. And so I landed on his doorstep and I said, do you know what to do with these? He goes, yeah, come on in. And we became friends. And then he shared his studio. And then all of a sudden I had a studio. And yeah. And so that's what led to me learning how to um, make records is, and this is, no one knows this, this story except like family is that I reverse engineered all the tapes from David Foster and then Quincy Jones for, um, I was helping with um, uh, Austin Powers, the first one. And they wanted da dance remixes of the first one. And they, you know, there were very little dance producers back then, like full-fledged, mm -hmm. that's all they did. And I thought dance music was, I understood it. I've always loved to dance and I just never had the opportunity to really dance, right? And we worked the whole, you know, all our lives. <laughs> and so it was a kind of like, huh, I can figure this out. So, so getting all those reels, um, I learned, especially vocal production from David, like there would be 24 tracks of vocals minus two and two tracks were for the instrumental, right? Or instrumental plus a lead vocal and all background vocals. So I, with, with um, you know, these, these prolific producers, I learned how music was made. And, and so I took their, their models and just refined them so I can do any style. Right. So I took their expertise, what I learned from them and then made my own framework, right. That I can rinse and repeat and apply to every artist I work with. So I was songwriting at that time. And that's how I met Casey Livingston and all these wonderful songwriters, because while I was doing that, I was writing my own music with these amazing songwriters. And so I was developing two skill sets. The remixes would pay to, for me to be able ah. to write music. Right. And this is all in my teens. And then um, I met Georgia Marauder and Georgia Marauder's wife, who just unfortunately recently passed away, Francesca, um, uh, she was amazing. She called my house in the hood that I was living in. She heard she grew up there and she heard of this producer living in the hood who was making pop music and remixes. She goes, well, we have an artist we're developing. And and would you come hang out with Georgia? I'm like, uh, Top Gun, Scarface, <laughs> Georgia, like. Uh, yeah. So I literally <laughs> took my beat up car. It was a, 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 I remember it was a 67 fastback Mustang, like a Shelby, um, that oh I pieced together with, with the, <laughs> with the help of my family. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was broken down. I just get it running that day with my, either my brothers or, or whoever. And, and we, I took it to, to Bel Air and he had two homes side by side. One was a direct knockoff of Scarface, his house. Looked like something out of <laughs> out of one of his films, and then the the other house was his living home, and so I drive up to to Holmby Hills, and you know French Giorgio greets me Giorgio Moroder, Giorgio Moroder is the the quintessential most interesting man in the world, he is that guy you know you see on the beer commercials he's literally yep. that guy, <laughs> super charming uh, I mean the sweetest guy like so I walk up you know in my broken down like fastback i don't know if you can pull a picture up later on when you, when you put put this on and air this but 
had a silver Shelby. And he's like, huh, that's what I had when I, when I was growing up. That's, that's a cool car. And I was like, you had one of these? He goes, yeah, yeah, man. Um, hey, are you hungry? And I'm like, yeah, actually I am. It's like, huh, let me have someone make you a sandwich. Come on in. Right? That's and amazing. so someone to, of that caliber to recognize that I was hungry mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, he didn't speak to me as like a kid. He saw me as, oh, you're, you're one of us. You know, and, okay. and like to embrace me like that, I was like, I almost choked up mm-hmm. tears because I was like, oh my God, I'm being witnessed. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was, but so it's that subtlety, right? That, uh, that gave me um, access to this world. It's a different world. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and so that when people think about how these things happen, it's not so much. It is, you have to be prepared with your skills and, and develop them, et cetera. But you just have to want it really bad. And I, and I tell this to people, and including my, my younger brother, who just was nominated for a Grammy, uh, and Danny Garibay, yeah. And I, I remember telling him this. Uh, you have to want it bad enough that it's like breathing. You mm-hmm. have to breathe. And so it was mentors that got me to a place that I had an opportunity to to not shine, but to showcase that I really wanted it. Oh, that's amazing. This this is one of those those stories that I like. That like you're it's it's like welcomed into this community. You have this guy, Giorgio Moroder, could easily have been somebody that you just would have been like sent somebody else to answer the door, and you just do go about your thing. You know what I mean? There could have been that situation, but then I think that then there's the connection as a human being because I oh, think. Yeah. People see that, you know, human being to human being. Oh, you're hungry. You didn't, you weren't like grabbing your stomach going, boy, I would have liked a sandwich yeah. sort of thing. But to have that, to, to have that intuition enough to go, okay, let, let's do this first. And I think that that is such a great open door into that because here's somebody that Giorgio Moroder at the time, beyond hyped in the music industry was one of those people. Cause I've, I mentioned him before when he worked on a song with Britney Spears, people were like, wait, we didn't know this. And this is what I love about this, reintroducing people to things and introducing them for the first time, because that's the way these legacies exist, new ears and you learning hear- all about these people. Oh yeah, yeah. And here's, I'll share this. It was embarrassing at the time. So Gaga, myself, and uh, I think it was, I think it was White Shadow was in the room and we were showing, so I invited Giorgio to meet Gaga, Giorgio Moroder, because, you know, for me, I've always felt in debt to him right to, mm-hmm. his, to his grace and um so so it's on tour we're doing born this way and we were on the road i forget where it was i think it was like um uh i think it was copenhagen or somewhere in europe and we were backstage in like think think of like the 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 addressing room backstage at an arena and we're you know crappy studio speakers and you know we're, we're makeshift studio that we travel around with and i finally get georgia to meet gaga like georgia wanted to meet her and, and gaga wanted to meet him and and so i introduced so he comes in and he, he, i just introduce him and i go this is georgia my mentor like i was so excited to share that right now um well, I said, this is Georgia Marauder. And Gaga goes, oh, this is your mentor. I go, yeah. And Georgia goes, I'm not your mentor. I'm like, oh. <laughs> right? Like, uh, uh, like, 
like here I am hyping Jordi up to God. It's like this gets the guy to change my life. You must meet him. And then she's like, uh, and then and so I'm, I, I was like, I tried kind of we moved on, right? Because there was no solution to that one. And uh, so I'm like tail between my legs. I just feel like an idiot right now. Like, um, but he's he listens to the album. He goes, "That's your single, right?" And hey, I was I was thinking he was gonna say like "Married Tonight" or he's gonna say like some another another song. But he was like, "Yeah, that's your single. That's your number one record." Right there. I'm like, "Whoa!" Like he no matter and he was just, he wasn't making music at this time. He was kind of like doing music for like the Vatican or something. Like he was working with the Pope. Like, um, so he, I remember, yeah, there's so many stories in Georgia. So, so I never, um, to this day, you know, we've been really good friends and close friends, I should say. And it was more, I realized later in life that it was not that mm -hmm. he was so humble that he didn't want to be seen or as a, as a mentor or teacher of things. He's Oh my God, because that's the whole thing. Because you're probably in that moment going, did I do amazing? something wrong? Am I not worth like, and he's probably like, we're, we're not, I'm not above you. I'm not, I'm just, a, you know, a friend who's, who's listening oh, to this. Of course. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Go down the list. Shocking because I'm like, uh, you know, it's like, you know, because to me, it's the highest honor I can pay someone. Right. Yep. You know, that's what, you know, if you think about Aristotle and, and, and you think about all the great thinkers of life, they've had, they mentored. Mm -hmm. And so he was, you know, for me, it was like, wow, you know, but that goes to show you, yeah. like, things are not always what they seem. Mm -hmm. And if what I learned in this, in, in to stay successful in this business, to, to first to survive, but then to sustain and then to, to, to prosper um, in that order was that if you learn to write your own narratives to your life story, then you're in control. So that's a deep-winded answer to that. one of those questions that you received that I think was, I, I wanted to pay your questions yeah. uh, justice because um, I'm very good at articulating the oh, nuances oh, I love of, that. of these circumstances. Well, so that's my embarrassing story with Gaga and Georgia Marauder. That's amazing. And Gaga's probably like, whoa, like <laughs> exit stage. Oh, I got oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right I love oh, that. Yeah. I lost, I, I lost credibility for sure. But it didn't matter. Like looking in, in, in looking back, it's like, man, that's pretty, pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Like th that's and that's what happened. And, and you could have easily had a situation like, you know, as, as listeners of music, you hear this person's like, oh, I'm responsible for their, that I taught oh, them everything. Yeah, that but, that's, but by the way, there's there's one of your, your the vinyl with you on there, Fernando Garibay, yeah. Giorgio Moroder, Escape Remixes. Yeah. That's right. So so that's what happened. So basically I wanted to, as he, he shared his, see, Giorgio didn't teach me how to make records in a physical sense. He taught me, by his presence, what what grace is? You see how to be graceful with artists. How to be? Um, that's the only word. Like essence. It's like describing essence. It's like um, there's a certain. Um, so a, a creative space has a psycho a psychology, and, and, and it's really called a psychography. It's a psych psychological landscape in the space, and it's very limbic. You, you know the mm -hmm. heart center of the, of the brain is very emotional so you must be really good at um being a pilot in that space in other words to prime the environment for hyper creativity and safe spaces most importantly mm -hmm. 
right? That's what drives. I mean, this is what I mean when you when you make records at this level with extraordinary artists, you have to be extraordinary. You have to be understanding of what greatness is because you could stumble your way through it. But if you don't know what grace, greatness is, you're going to not be able to repeat that process. Mm. And that goes for any field, right? So that's what Giorgio taught me. And I can, and, I and David taught me, um, David Foster, indirectly and directly how to technically make great records. And Rene Van Versefeld, the guy who made Technotronic pumped up the jam, taught me the specificities of grinding and taking the physical tape and then spreading them out on a console mm. right? and then spending 24 hours not sleep until you figure it out. And then hacking my way into these universities taught me music theory, the vocabulary to underread those charts. Mm. You see, it's a village. Oh, yeah. Right. And then my, my parents worked all the time. So they taught me what work ethic is. I mean, to a, to a fault. Mm -hmm. So that's what made all this music. Well, and, and what's great is I think that you are somebody who speaks to creatives and people who feel, because I feel like, you know, it's easily like, oh, I did A and that caused B and here's C, like that's it. But it's like the, the environment that needs to be created that creatives have to navigate through because you want to create a space in which, and, and I talked about this with, with Frankie Storm and, and a bunch of other people that were working on like the Britney Circus album at the time. And they said, you know, when you go in there, you want to feel okay to just, maybe you try something out, but if you're that nervous, you're not going to maybe try out that word or try to sing it this way. And that you have to feel safe to just allow it to flow. She's like, because yeah, you have to feel, yeah, you have to feel safe to suck. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So Aerosmith, right. Dare to suck. Right? Oh my God. So, so, so if you look at the greatest startups um, in, in, in our, in our, of our era, the greatest companies, they, they borrow from us, right. From the creative class. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of failing quickly really comes from creativity, you see, from the creative class. So we must be able to, um, kill all our ideas and it's really not that it's so much that you must be able to quickly iterate mm -hmm. and you can't iterate until you start with something so i say start with dumb start with the dumbest idea and, oh, I, and I throw what i call myself under the bus immediately to suck i am the worst singer in the room that means i'm somewhere important i am the dumbest person in the room that means i'm somewhere with quite intelligence right so that's where i start and so you're keen to notice that because um i work with now and i'll describe this with with, with uh later on in this conversation i want to get to more answers more questions here to, to the and more more answers i can provide uh i work with world leaders and i teach them what we know to help the creative class right so i arbitrage my knowledge set for that but it starts from this unique uh, proposition is we're masters at creating safe spaces mm -hmm. we're masters at inspiring people to think uniquely and in order to do that it requires trust and so you must learn to build these spaces of trust really quickly and then be a martyr like use yourself as the dumbest person in the room this is a friendly reminder don't forget to rate us on apple Podcasts and spotify back to the show 
let's jump on to 2006 yeah. right here. Paris Hilton <laughs> stars are blind because this is a song that has come up so many oh times and we're celebrating the 15th anniversary of it. And what has been great is we have a question. I got a plethora of questions about this, but this one specifically is from Blaine from Germany. I love Stars Are Blind. How did Fernando Garibay come to work on the song? Was it always for Paris? How cool is it that the world loved it? It's a gay anthem. And I want Fernando to know that the LGBT plus community appreciates his continual work with the community. Thank you for giving us a song to dance and smile to. At times it's hard to be the LGBT and we need these songs to be able to let out that animosity, that anger and that love to other people. Please share my thanks and love to Fernando Garibay. Wow, that's so touching. Like I'm, I'm. That's amazing. I'm, I'm taken back by that. Uh, so, I think. Wow, that's that's awesome. Uh, well, you see, it's really started this. Now let's start with this. What? Why? Why is the LGBTQ plus community really important to me? I didn't know, because originally, when. I just wanted to make dance music because I, for some reason, you know, dance, we were very repressed, you know, as, as mm -hmm. Mexicans um, in my community, uh, growing up in, in, you know, disenfranchised community of, of Southeast and South Central LA. And, and, you know, we didn't, it was like kind of like a, a luxury, right? Like to go out and, and enjoy music and, and to even mm -hmm. dance, right? It's like, you don't show emotion, like you get to work. And that was our culture. And so for me, dance music was like the primal was like, you know, I there's my parents and, and family, I should say relatives tell me that I used to dance in front of speakers at when I was a kid. And it made me feel connected to the world, right? It was my, you know, it was the purest thing I could do. And I think that the LGBTQ plus community recognizes the same feeling that they feel liberated when they hear dance music, particularly, mm -hmm. they're not judged. There's no sense of right or wrong. There's no narrative. You just feel. And that's primal to who we are as animals, mm -hmm. right? As, as mammals. And that's where it comes from. And so now to further get into the um, evolutionary aspect, of that and what just connects with this 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 innate connection, uh, we were a completely marginalized community of Mexican Americans who were trying to get a better life in this country. And at and Gago, I owe her full credit for the for articulating this in a clear way through the music we've created together, is that we were fighting for the same thing, freedom mm -hmm. in 2011. Well, let's start with 2007, 2008, 2009. We we're making this music. I was on the road, and there was Mexicans being kicked out of the country mm -hmm. and ripped from their families. And there was, you know, no awareness and support for the LGBTQ plus community. And they were dealing with the same emotions, mm -hmm. same feelings, right? Like they weren't allowed to marry the person they loved. Mm -hmm. And our people were getting families ripped apart of the people that, you know, they loved more than anything in the world. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. So that's what drove that connection. And I think when I did Stars Are Blind, I wasn't clear on that. It became clear. It was illuminated to me by, you know, 
all the fans that were hanging out and going to Gaga's concerts, what that meant. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, we have the same thing in common. I would sit out in the audience and just observe and just watch and case study like, oh my God, like these people come because she makes them feel free. She freed a lot of people from the social constructs of what you can't do and what you can mm-hmm. through the music that we've created. Right. Okay. So that's my kind of philosophical view of that. Stars are blind specifically was my entry point. I think in this, I mean, I've done a lot of dance records before yeah. that. I've done a, a quite like a lot of work with Enrique Iglesias who has a lot of a large LGBTQ plus fan as well, uh, fan base. Oh yeah. And in those stars are blind. That was just directly. I didn't know this is just directly to the hearts of the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. It was the, I think the, almost like the perfect package, right? Here you have, a first the first influencer of all time and she looks like a barbie doll mm-hmm. and then here's a label asking me uh do you have anything that can work for paris i'm like hmm let's see what does she need we don't know i'm like i'll tell you what she needs half of the people love her and then half of the people don't know what to make out of it so they, they go through like i, I don't like her mm-hmm and and because they don't know it's a it's a it's a what's called a um it's cognitive dissonance right it's like you can't you don't know i can't relate so i can't or it's too pretty or yep. it's that so i'm like we have to write a narrative that shows who she is so i was starting a song for gwen uh um with with uh, my friend shep solomon <laughs> Hopping out for a quick second, Shep Solomon is somebody who has been a guest numerous times on here. We talked about his work with so many icons, including the Princess of Pop, Britney Spears. So on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, scroll through and look for his name or the song titles he's affiliated with. Back to the show. You know, I was working for Jimmy Iovine at the time. So Jimmy Iovine signed me as an artist, producer, everything, right? So that's another story, which is great. And so... I had the song of Gwen. Gwen, I think, was starting a family. So she wasn't interested in making music. I just thought, hey, I know Jimmy and Jimmy's mentors, Gwen. So why not? And then I, had, I played the, the demo, early demo. We had melodies and some lyrics. And, and I think it was Warner was like, this is amazing. This is perfect. I'm like, okay, let's tailor it to her then. So what is more poetic mm-hmm. than fate telling you that you belong with someone right like that is like and, and being it being a reggae song that sounds like you know a culmination of every hit reggae, reggae song ever made um and the spirit of transcendence through paradise right like the, the the ultimate vacation like the ultimate like you know those cruise songs that are really cheesy <laughs> yeah okay that's not what i wanted to do yeah i wanted to write the next what a wonderful world that's what was my that was my goal and to do it with paris what i think is important and the the listeners and the amount of messages i got they were saying everyone wanted to just quickly despise anything Paris Hilton was doing. So then when you give them a song that you're like, Oh, this is actually a good song. I think that it was, and and I, on, on my TikTok, I did a, 
I was reading some of the reviews from like Billboard magazine where they're like, you know, Paris gives us a song. We thought she was going to go this Max Martin Swedish kind of way. And then here she comes with this Gwen Stefani alt vibe reggae thing that is so infectious that the people that are annoyed that they like Paris Hilton are going to be annoyed because they like this song. Because you you gave a song to a universal influencer that was universal. And <clears throat> that's the part I didn't want to leave out in this, but that's why when I, I was like, I have like the CD singles, I have all of these, the vinyl, and it's like, I still play the vinyl with it. I'm like, there's just something about the song and celebrating the 15th anniversary of it and that it is still loved. And so when I posted, I was getting messages to telling, you know, with people saying, this is one of my favorite songs ever. And 15 years later, it doesn't sound old or aged like songs could easily do a decade and a half later. So people wanted to, to give you that shout out. And I wanted to hop in now to some more of these, these questions. We have a song from T from Tokyo. Wow. Can you tell Fernando G that his music is timeless? I thought his work on Circus was a game changer. The wow. Britney songs, Quicksand and Amnesia, and my top three favorite Britney songs of all time, along with Baby One More Time. Please let Fernando Garibay know that he created music that I used when I was in physical therapy after an accident. The quicksand beat just kept me going and it was something that I needed. So thank you and thank universe for giving that to us. Also, can you please ask, I always wondered, could there ever be an EP? There had to have been more than those songs that were on there. Please, please, please talk about that. And as we're talking about, you know, the, the circus track right here, Amnesia, which is available on certain editions of the circus album. Here we go. Let's talk about quicksand. And Amnesia is a separate song that we have more questions on. So can you talk a little bit about that quicksand thing? How did it come about? We know it was a Gaga collaboration. Yeah. So I'm playing, I'm looking, I pulled up my session because um, I'm like, I'm have all my files here. I'm listening. I'm going to play the vocal version because that's what uh, Gaga's vocal. And yeah, so this was when I first met her and Gaga, actually. So Renee Van Berseveld had um, the studio that it, we then I then inherited. And so it was right behind a McDonald on Highland. And there is where kind of all this happened, where the Pussycat Dolls would show up because Jimmy would send them over. Uh, Enrique would come by regularly. We'd had um, Bruno Mars, uh, eventually uh, Bruno and, and uh, his songwriting partner eventually moved to the front of the building. So it was Enrique, all the um, girl and... bands, not all the girl bands. Then Bruno Sia became a really good friend. Uh, and it was just a rotation of these new artists, songwriters that were going to be mega stars, mega stars. And it, you know, so the song, specifically the piano line, was something I was playing with because I, I heard Jimmy's like, he calls me and, and Jimmy Iveen and, and he goes, oh, I have this new artist. You got to work with her. Um, that's it. It hangs up. And I'm like, cool. No time, no nothing. All right. So I'm in the studio and I'm, I know I had to do something because I had to create some music. So I was playing this piano line on quicksand. It was one of the first songs that we wrote, literally. And while I'm doing that piano line, uh, I was like, oh, this is interesting. You know, it kind of it is yearning right, of some sort. And, and so I heard, I finally stopped playing and I heard this banging on my back gate and was metal gate from that studio. And I opened the store and I've told the story before, but I opened the, the door and here's this woman at midnight on a dot wearing a black leotard. And it's winter, by the way. So it's 
freaking cold like and it's dangerous out there right yep. it's like it's not a safe neighborhood and yeah she's like she's cussing me out she's like why the f do you, how did you dare you little woman out here in the cold in, in a in a leotard and stilettos like what's wrong with you like she's literally yelling at me he goes oh, i'm so sorry i didn't hear you um she goes it's okay my name is gaga she comes in and then she's she's like she sits out she's in my, my piano my committee piano and she starts playing and she goes i just finished my album i'm gonna sing you a song tell me what you think I, and this is we just shared a few words right and she goes and plays me a um poker face i'm like oh my god and then she plays me um she's singing uh, like singing the songs that she just recorded with red one and then she plays um just dance i'm like uh, can we just like write every day? I told her I was just an awestruck because I, I knew what they were. Oh just, you don't hear that every day. And then she plays me a bit of the, 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 out, the stuff she's been doing with Red One, the actual recordings. I'm like, that's really cool. It's amazing. Like, I, like I'm envious. I wish I could have been a part of that. Because, ah, we'll do more. <laughs> and, so, and she goes, what do you think? And I go, yeah. So I was just playing around with this idea. And that was quicksand. And she starts started singing it. Like starting kind of freestyling the vocal and then you know pen and paper and talks about what it's like to be in a relationship you sucks you in mm-hmm. that really connect connected with the record label and 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 then with britney and don't forget if you're enjoying these interviews make sure you rate it on apple podcast and spotify all of your support truly means a lot back to the show and unfortunately it was a competitive u.s market and so what happens is a lot of my music was really different mm-hmm. and it tends to age well it doesn't connect immediately and i think it's i think where some considered my music challenging was that it was not made for now it's made for later it's like wine it ages i knew that mm-hmm. right so so mm-hmm. i go and make music like four years ago and it and then it becomes a hit like you know now right so stars are blind is bigger now be- than it was when it came out because of that very reason it's a mindset and it requires a lot of discipline and trust in, in, in yourself and the art you make. And it's, it's, un, it's not, it's not, it's not negotiable for me is if I don't, if I don't, I'm not moved to mm-hmm. tears with the music I create, then I'm not doing it service. Right. I call it my, my sand painting, you know, the Tibetan sand painters, uh, the, the, when monks sit down and paint sand, you paint with sand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, th- this is a very, you know, to, to, to then throw it out into the river, right? So that's what we do, right? It's not so much that we're delivering content to a market space or just there's, there's marketing, there's all this um, technical stuff that has to happen to create awareness for the record. It's more about, can we start with something that's deeply moving and honest and genuine with the artist? So at Paris, you know, I, I got to personally know her and I knew I was right. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not what you see. She's a very intelligent, sweet, sweet woman. Same with Brittany. That's why they're good friends. Mm-hmm. Because she's incredibly intelligent, sweet, sweet woman. Right. And what happens with the incredibly intelligent, sweet, sweet women with big hearts is they get taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I write that story with them and about them. 
So, so uh, that's how these songs are honest. But, uh, and amnesia, amnesia became bigger in Europe than it was in the US until the quicksand, right? And it became fan favorites that have become bigger than the songs on the arguably in some some communities, bigger, bigger than the other ones. And that's because of the connection. Well, and that was one of those things where so many people were asking like for for amnesia, because like I said, I have like that every time I go to a different country, I'll buy my favorites, their albums there, especially if they have bonus tracks. And I remember Casey Livingston, she said, boy, if you want a masterclass on how to get on a Japanese only edition of a Britney Spears album, I'll, I'll teach you that. Oh, that's so but funny. What I loved is to this day, the amount of emails that I get just in talking about with other other Britney collaborators so many people bring up quicksand and amnesia and we have wow. Lindsay in Los Angeles said James original doll I loved hearing you talk to Casey Livingston her voice is amazing Fernando Bay is up there Fernando Garibay is up there with Max Martin in my eyes he created music for Britney that was so different and so ahead of its time but it is probably one of the best age songs that Britney has ever done I thought they should have been singles. Was there ever any talk about Amnesia going to be a single? It doesn't make any sense to me. Please have him talk about this because where is the justice? Justice for Amnesia. And for that, check out the Amnesia episode on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Thanks for listening. See you on the flip side.